and he played pretty well for Canada at the World Juniors before he got hurt inevitably again because that's what docs do. They get injured. They need the doctor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for the intro. I hate you, Wally. <laughs> you're, you're saying dad jokes when you're like younger than me. Like, what the hell? And welcome to the Hockey Podcast. This is a fan-run podcast about the Chicago Blackhawks, and it is the last episode of Season 1 for us. As we move into the second season of the Hockey Podcast and the second full season of the Kyle Davidson era. My name is Tyler, and I am joined, as always, by my three co-hosts, Wally. We're a month and a half away from Blackhawks preseason hockey. Yeah, that is fun. Nick? Yeah, just getting closer to Bedard's NHL debut. Absolutely. And John. Phil Kershaw somehow awarded a lot of money. Yeah, there was there was a couple things that happened. It's been quite an uneventful last month or so in terms of Blackhawks news. We only have a few real things in terms of like transactions, but we do have one major thing that happened that uh kind of shocked everyone because I can't say that I expected this to be the thing that I was expect that I was going to start off with. Um, around two weeks ago, uh, the uh, Blackhawks chairman Rocky Wirtz uh, passed away unexpectedly. Uh, it came rather out of nowhere, uh, and there's been a lot of um, you know tributes that have been paid to him as of late. Uh, a lot of it's it's it's. It's just not something that was expected, but I think that the response from the Blackhawks has been good. Uh, Watched a lot of that um, memorial service they had a couple days ago. It was very well done. Um, A lot of uh, former and current players were there. And for somebody who's done so much for this franchise and so much for the city, I think that it was a well-done service. Um, What are your thoughts on everything that's happened in that situation? Yeah, it was pretty sad to see uh, that Rocky did pass away because, frankly, Rocky, Rocky is, in my opinion, the greatest owner in Chicago sports history for what all he was able to accomplish by bringing the team from being voted upon as the worst Ram professional sports organization right before he took ownership to then getting the team on TV for fans to be able to watch the games, uh, help bring three Stanley Cups to the city of Chicago. And he changed so much by making the sport of hockey one of the most lively sports in the city itself for youth hockey development and all around this pure for the sport of the game where you're starting you started to see more um younger players get involved into hockey with the addition of the fifth third arena a few years back and now they're expanding that to uh two additional rinks and now a purchase of the uh chicago steel recently rocky had a whole lot of influence in the city and for the sport of hockey. And I feel like 
next stop, he will be in the Hockey Hall of Fame for what he was able to accomplish. I mean, Nick pretty summed it up pretty much right there. Uh, uh, you can say whatever you want about him, but the whole town hall thing, um, that does leave a bad taste in everyone's mouths because that's like the really last uh, big public appearance he made. But uh, yeah, he saved the franchise 100%. Yeah, I think Nick summed that up perfectly, to be honest. Um, and I, I feel for family and uh, organization. So Yeah, everyone involved in the organization, and especially to um, brand-new chairman Danny Wirtz, um, it's never easy to lose a loved one. And on especially a personal level, I feel for them. And I'm sure that everyone here, we all do as well. So... That's, to me, for such a pivotal figure in the history of the Blackhawks, especially the recent history of the Blackhawks and the revival of the Blackhawks, it's just important that we take the time to acknowledge what he was to the city. I understand that his last moment in public view was not very graceful, but with the context surrounding it, Everything that we've heard from that situation, the fact that he was blindsided by all of this, it seems more to do with frustration than anything. And that's, it's disappointing that it's the way he's going to be remembered, especially for people outside of the city of Chicago. Because what I've seen is most people outside the city of Chicago don't quite understand what he means. And we're the first ones to push back and say, no, that doesn't define him. He's so much more than that, because we've seen across all of sports, fans are very quick to hate their franchise's owners. It's not very difficult to have fans hate their team's owners. Yeah, it's also to add that Rocky was willing to sit in the United Center with the fans. He wasn't in his own press, like in his own box. He was sitting in the ninth and section 119 down with the fans every game. He was with the fans. He wasn't there just in the background. He was truly more a fan than anything. Mm-hmm. Any last comments on this? Um, no, not really. Just condolences to his family is all I have to say. Absolutely. And from what we've seen from the last year, I think that losing Rocky Wirtz is definitely very sad for the franchise. And I know and expect that there will be tributes, including most likely a patch on the jersey this year. I would at least hope that to be the case if it hasn't been announced yet. But I do feel comfortable in the hands of Danny Wirtz being the person who's running this team for the foreseeable future. And I think that he has what it takes to be the guy moving forward from what we've seen from the last year. Yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. So... With that, we are going to move on to the second uh, thing that we're going to discuss today, which is a couple of contract news. First thing, uh, we've had a few ELCs that have been signed since our last podcast. Uh, the first one was the Connor Bedard ELC. Um, this one, it took a little bit because had to wait until Connor Bedard officially turned 18 to sign the contract, but he has now, and with that, Bedard is a Chicago Blackhawk officially on a maximum contract ELC for the next three seasons. And 
I think that it's pretty easy to say that that's fantastic for the team. It also should also, be noted that um, the contract can go up to $4.5 million in total value if he hits all of his incentives and bonuses and all that wonderful he stuff. Will. Oh, he will. Yeah, yeah he, he will. will. <laughs> it also struts up to conduct the fans. And then moving on to the next one, um, this one's one that is particularly close to the hearts of the Hockey Puck cast. Um, Samuel Savoie has signed his entry-level contract, and I'm sure that we're all very excited about that. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite prospect, so I was glad to see it happen. And maybe if he shows up well in the preseason, he may try and crack a roster spot. Who knows? He'll be back in, he'll be back in the QMJHL. I would love to see him at least give it a go to, you know, try and make the team. I don't expect it to happen. I don't think that the Hawks... I think that no matter how well he plays, the Hawks will not put him in the NHL next year. Uh, they'll let him they'll let him develop on his own in the QMJHL. Mm-hmm. Probably what I want to see from him is I want to see him push for a spot in the uh, Canada World Junior roster. I think it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know in the latest, um, I think the Athletic, it was published by the Athletic, um, they put together, I believe it was Pronman. Wheeler and Boltman, um, they put together like their projections for the World Junior teams. Uh, the Canada one did have Sav- Savoie on it as a fourth liner, for what it's worth. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where you'd want him to be. Um, physical intensity, uh, the speed. He's got a decent shot, um, and he's not he's not afraid to he's not afraid to rough people up. Didn't the Q just ban fighting too? They did. They did, okay. but you can't ban physicality. Yeah, you can't ban physicality, but I know Wally stated it when he tweeted about it. I wonder if that changes things for his game. I will say, too, I didn't actually look at it. Apparently, he only has, like, two fights in his, like, three seasons of the QMJHL, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, I think most of his is just taking just penalties, not even fighting, but just taking penalties. So... I don't think it'll yeah. be too big of a worry for him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing there is, when it comes to him as well, uh, he's only 5'10", so I don't think he's much of a fighter per se, he's just an agitator. Yeah. Andrew Shaw 2.0? That was the way that I saw it, the way that I first saw him play, so I do see a real strong agitated uh, agitator uh, still sitting there. And I think he's a better skater than Shaw as well. Oh, yeah. And he hits the gritty, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. He gets style points as well. He does get style points, and then Ludwinski copied him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but moving on to the uh, final contract uh, discussion involving new contracts with Blackhawks, um, our only qualified RFA of the summer uh, was, uh, f- was Philip Kurashev. And he ended up going to arbitration. And in the end, he got an arbitration contract from the Chicago Blackhawks of a two-year deal. Yeah, a two-year deal with an AAV of $2.25 million. Ow. I, look, it's not, it's not going to matter because, if anything, this is going to be a little bit more helpful. I mean, we're not close to the salary floor anymore with some of the new contracts that we signed. But if anything... This is just going to make us more secure at the salary floor. But 
regardless, um, I don't quite know what the Arbiter was looking at. I don't want to say this, but I am going to. I did predict this contract a month before the um, arbitrator actually uh, gave it out. Mm -hmm. It's kind of confusing because despite all the skill that Philip Kurashev has, um, I don't necessarily think he's ever really shown um, a ton at the NHL level. I mean, if you look at his... um, Look at his stats over the course of his entire career. He's probably not anywhere as productive as you might expect. In his entire career so far, he's had three seasons of 0.3 points per game, 0.31 points per game, and then 0.36 points per game over his first three seasons in the NHL. I don't really expect Philip Kurashev to be a massive contributor to the future of the Blackhawks and I mean, good for him for getting this money, but I wonder how much longer he's on a contract over a million dollars. Maybe the arbitrator looked at his like the beginning of the season because that's when he usually shines, and then didn't watch the rest of the season. Well, I think part of it is probably like the situation too. I'm sure. Obviously, if he's not producing them, that's not great. But he also played a ton of minutes for the Blackhawks, and part of me feels like that's why he got as big of a contract as he did. Um, so, yeah, that's just my opinion, but it is, I don't think it's, a, I'm very surprised that the arbitrator gave him that contract, though. So, I have a question about this whole arbitration stuff. Mm-hmm. When the arbitrator gives you, or gives the team the number, do they have to listen to that? Yes. They do, if they want to keep the player. Okay. That's what I thought, but I just wanted to yeah. make sure. If they agree to a two-year contract, then I believe that the team can say, well, we're going to move it down to a one-year deal, but then the player gets UFA rights. And if, it's a one- and if it's a one-year arbitration deal, then the team can reject the contract, and the player just becomes a UFA. Well, in this case, on the um, Kershev front... It was Kershev who applied for arbitration, so the Hawks got to choose the length of the deal, and the arbitrator, all they had to choose was the cap hit. That's how it went for the this uh, Kershev case. Yeah, and those two, those, unlike when it comes to uh, baseball, in the MLB, the arbitrator decides one or the other, between the two numbers that the team that the team and the player choose in the NHL, the arbitrator almost always picks something in between. Yeah. So it's it's not quite the same. Okay. Which again is why I'm saying, what was the arbitrator seeing? <laughs> yes. I don't know. And on to our last topic in terms of contract stuff, but it's not necessarily Blackhawks contracts. It's more Blackhawks former players. Um, there's been reports that Patrick Kane has been waiting to sign with a team until he recovers from his surgery, and along with that, Jonathan Taze is still unsigned as well. So, both of these players who were pending UFAs at the end of last season and are, are free agents at the moment, Blackhawks legends, neither of them have been signed by either team right now. Um... Any thoughts on this? I wonder where Kane goes, and I wonder if Taze plays again. Well, Taze wasn't on, he wasn't on the agent's free agent list. So that's like, signs of retirement without saying he's retired. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation right now with Jonathan Taze with the retirement, uh, with it not with him not announcing that he's retired. But he kind of hinted a little bit on his final game with the Blackhawks. It sounded more like he was leaning towards the retirement side of things. And um, the fact was his name was not put on the um, official list of retired players. And then we end up seeing that Marian Hosa in um, Slovakia is going to be having a goodbye game. Jonathan Taze is on that list of players to go play in that um, goodbye game of Hosa's. And a lot of the players, except for maybe one or two, are retired players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel maybe it might be maybe we're reading too much into that. Maybe he just wants to be there to honor a longtime teammate of his. Oh, yeah. That could, that could easily be the only thing that's going on there. It could also be the case that, well, he's not focusing on the NHL right now, and that's just not his priority at the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I could see in a correct circumstance at the end of the season for a team that's in the playoffs or pushing for the playoffs that just lost a center, I could see them giving a call to Taze if they feel it's like the right fit. I don't know if it will happen. Like, if he wants to do it, like, they'll call him up and say, do you want to do it? And he'll say yes or no if they give him enough money. The thing is, I don't know if something like that will happen, knowing with Taze, who has missed a lot of time in the last couple seasons with his health, maybe teams won't even look into it. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just, I could see it happening in some yeah. 1% chance. Yeah. It's interesting. That could easily happen. It's it's possible. We'll see. And then with Patrick Kane, I feel like he's probably just waiting and it'll happen because I, I don't think he's done. I don't think he wants to be done. Whereas Taze, yeah. he's a year older. He's dealt with health issues. Um, and it took a it took a lot for him to come back and just finish the season for the Hawks and play like, what was it, like five, ten games to finish the year? Uh, it was mm-hmm. 13 played 13 games in the year that's very impressive but it still yeah it still took a lot for him to come back i still thought there was a player there in him but if he can't handle the nhl schedule anymore then it will be difficult for teams to accommodate that at this point and if he doesn't want to then he doesn't want to mm-hmm. we'll see though where do you see kane going tyler that is um it's an interesting one. Buffalo. Buffalo <laughs> that would be fun. Um, I mean, I wouldn't hate it, personally. Uh, but I think that, honestly, at this moment in time, um, depending on... There's a couple of different things that could, uh, that could change uh, situations. Um, it's difficult because a lot of teams have put their cap space completely up to the, up to the line especially with LTIR stuff as well. There's a lot of teams who just don't have the space anymore and are also trying to compete. So I wonder how teams are going to be able to fit Kane into their uh, spots, onto their uh, onto their rosters. Um, one team who I do see, they don't have much cap space, is, but they still have some. New Jersey. 
mm-hmm. New Jersey. I think they're a very mm-hmm. exciting uh, young team. Um, Austin could use some help on their roster. Um, Carolina as well. And depending on what happens with um, with Vegas's cap situation, they might push for him as well. Those are all teams I agree with. I was about to say Vegas or Carolina, but those were good point outs by New Jersey and Boston. It would kind of be weird to see him in Boston. He kind of like owns that franchise. Despite everything, I genuinely think that Jonathan Taze fits what uh, fits what Boston needs right now. I agree. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> That's yeah. And with that, we are going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we are going to head into discussions about our new and updated prospect pyramid heading into the next season with all of our brand new draft picks. And we're going to finish it off with a couple of discussions of line projections and a couple other topics as well. So stay tuned and we'll be back in a sec. All right, we are back and it is time to discuss our prospect pyramid. So. Here's how it's going to work. Over the last couple of days, myself, Wally, and John, we have been working on our prospect pyramid, which is essentially just ranking all of our different prospects that we have in the organization into tiers. Uh, The way that we look at prospects is that anytime that you're defining a prospect, it's usually players 25 and under, more so under 25, who have 50 or less NHL games. And you'll see going forward who makes the pyramid and who doesn't make the pyramid. Obviously, we don't have a ton of NHL youngsters on the team at all, besides for Kurashev. So there aren't many guys who like are eligible but don't make it. It's mostly players who've recently been drafted. And speaking of recently been drafted, we start with the guy, the only guy in Tier 1, which is a tier reserved for franchise-altering talents. Guys like Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid... Kale McCarr, players on that level. And for the first time since I've been doing Prospect Pyramids, Blackhawks actually have one of those guys in Connor Bedard, and that is fantastic to be the case. Yeah, I, I would just call this the Connor Bedard tier, to be honest. Um, absolutely crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't know what which I really can say about him. Because, um, stuff has already been said. I don't think I can really add What hasn't that, yeah. been said? Yeah, I don't really know what you can say anymore at this point. I mean, the amount of medals and awards that this guy has won before playing in the NHL is flat-out ridiculous between Canada performances, under-18s, under-20s, World Juniors. He's won gold medals three times in the last three years. He's also won CHL Player of the Year multiple times it's it's just a ridiculous track record for him guy put up 23 points in seven world junior matches last year and he put up 143 points in 57 whl games 71 goals 72 assists guy has a lethal shot which is already probably one of the 20 best in the world even though he's only 18 and he's fast he skates really well and he just has all the intelligence that you want for somebody and the skill that you want to be a top-line center for many, many years to come. And obviously, it's just exciting. Only year he'll be on the prospect pyramid because he's going to play the entire season in the NHL for us and for years to come, which is why we are going to quickly move on to Tier 2, where there's actually some discussion that can take place. In Tier 2, 
we have three defensemen, or three forwards and one defenseman. And I'm going to let Wally start by discussing the first guy in this tier, Oliver Moore. Yeah, Oliver Moore, the first thing that just sticks out about him is his speed. Uh, fastest player in the draft in 2023. Um, just, just crazy. Um, he's committed to uh, University of Minnesota, along with another Blackhawks prospect that we'll talk about later. Um, he mostly played second line for uh, on TDP, um, which his production wasn't great because of that, because besides the first line, there wasn't that many uh, super highly skilled players on that team. Um, my only question is how did he fall to 19? That's a question everyone like, should be asking. It's the only question is how did he fall to 19? That's, that's fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild what's been going with Oliver Moore. Because obviously, you look at the NTDP team last year, and they had Will Smith, they had Ryan Leonard, and they had Gabe Perot, who were that top line. Now, that team also had Cole Iserman as well, who, of course, is going to be a fantastic top five pick in next year's draft. So... Him along with Oliver Moore, that is some those are some really high quality players there on that next group. But beyond that, I mean, he was still getting lower ice time. He was getting uh, lower caliber talent. And there's a lot of people out there who have said that if you swapped Will Smith and Oliver Moore, they believe Moore could have done even better with the role that Smith was put into instead of him. And the fact that people believe that, the fact that there's people out there whose opinions I trust very highly, who have him ranked as a top five player in the most recent draft class, ahead of Will Smith, and ahead of David Reinbacher, and ahead of other guys who were ranked, who were drafted way before him, for that guy to be available at 19 is insane, and I'm just ecstatic to see what he does next year at the University of Minnesota. The next guy on this prospect pyramid that we can that we will talk about next forward is Frank Nazar, who had a bit of a fractured season last year in terms of the fact that he was injured for segments of it. He got, he was missed probably, he missed the first half of the season, was unable to make it to the World Juniors, played like the last 10 to 15 games for the University of Michigan last year, but wasn't really able to put it all together because he just missed so much time and he was still probably recovering from an injury and the step up in quality from USHL to NCAA. I think that next year is going to be the true breakout season for Nazar, and I think that going forward, the Connor Bedard and Oliver Moore duo of the system makes putting Frank Nazar on the right wing for the future all the more special. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. Um, I think he'll definitely, he'll probably get moved to the wing. I think most of that is because of Bedard and Moore, um, but I think it's also due to his size, which... To be honest, I think um, size is a little bit of concern with the Blackhawks forward prospects, at least the top tier ones. Um, but yeah, uh, Azar was good. or Well, he wasn't good this passing because of the injury or whatever. He was kind of rusty, as you mentioned, Tyler. Um, but he was really good at the World Junior Summer Showcase uh, this July. Um, he had a four-goal, five-point game, um, and he just he just looked like the same player he was last year, maybe even a little better. Um, very fast, competitive, and skilled. Absolutely. And I think that with what we saw at the World Junior Summer Showcase, we're all excited for what's going to happen at the University of Michigan next year. And I think it's a guy who will be on the Blackhawks come the end of the season, if not, if potentially not until the following season, depending on how far Michigan goes in the uh, 
NCAA tournament. Our third forward in Tier 2, again, this is our tier of players who could potentially be of the elite caliber and guys with high floors in that bracket as well, is Lucas Reichel. Now, Reichel spent half the season last year in the NHL, but the first half of the season was in the AHL. And, John, you got an awful lot of a look at Lucas Reichel last year. I did, considering that my entire my entire uh, like location on the job is ice side, like up against the board. So I saw so much of Lucas Reichel. And what can I say about Lucas Reichel that we have not said already on the podcast? He's just He's just so quick. It seemed like last year... At the end of the last year, um, like it, it seemed like his production dipped, and I think that was due to, like, after he came back from the NHL after the what was it, thirteen game stint, something like that. I think it was nineteen. Nineteen. Uh, his production seemed to slow down a little bit in the AHL, and I think that's due to the fact that he was far and away the best player on the ice every night, and so people and he was just thinking so quickly that his teammates couldn't keep up with him. And I just can't wait to watch him in the NHL. This yeah, I think season. the obvious expectation is that he will be a key contributor to the Blackhawks this season. But more importantly, I think that it will be along the fact that Lucas Reichel will just be a big element of the start of what's coming next. Uh, likely will fit into the left-wing role uh, for the future for the Blackhawks, probably on one of the top two lines. I feel like with the group that we're building right now, you can see the four forwards that are going to run the franchise moving forward. Bedard and Moore in the middle, Reichel on the left, Nazar on the right, and then you kind of build everything else around that, potentially through free agency, potentially through trades, potentially through more draft picks, which we're still probably going to have high draft picks in the next couple of years. So it's exciting to have a guy like Reichel, though, who's going to be hopefully a veteran over the next couple, who will probably develop into a veteran over the next couple years as the team improves. And the last guy in tier two is our only defenseman in the tier, arguably the second best prospect in the entire system, Kevin Korchinski, who had an unbelievable season last year in the WHL. Yeah, I would definitely say he's the second best uh, prospect in the Hawks system. Um, just crazy offensively his offensive ability puck moving ability is very impressive um he's very mobile um and the other thing that kind of stands out about him is um his length like he's i think he's around like six two six three um and i think that'll help his defending at the pro level once he fills out his frame a little bit more um but yeah the only concern with him is his defense but i think it looked pretty good in the preseason last year It'll be interesting to see what it looks like again. Yeah, this it's year. definitely something that I think we can see more and more improvement on. Um, I think the one interesting thing with Korchinski, he's been on stacked teams for the last couple of years in the WHL, but he also has been among the best players on those teams in terms of plus minus. I mean, he was a plus 50 last year, which was third best on the team, and plus 36 the previous season, which again was second best on the team. This is a guy who was one of the best players on his team and was one of the best players in the WHL. Uh, he was at the World Juniors. But he was more of a limited role player uh, because the top two lines, top two pairs were filled by uh, Nolan Allen and Ethan Del Mastro, oddly enough. Uh, off that sentence alone, you would you would not be mistaken for thinking that it was just a Blackhawks uh, team at the, uh, at the World Juniors, but it can assure you that it was not. Um, but I think that Kevin Korchinski has so much talent and skill, and because of the 
newfound size growing into his body, I can't see him being a full-time WHLer next year. I think he's going to get NHL games, and I think it will be at least half the season. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I would agree with that as well, yeah. That concludes Tier 2, and we will move on to Tier 3, which are mostly guys that consist of supporting cast players who have a mix of ceiling and certainty in that realm. Uh, Guys who you can see filling into, like, second and third line roles, second pair defensemen, guys filling number two through four slots in the defensive charts, um, guys like that. And we start with three forwards in this tier, and the first one is a guy who had a very good season in college last year in Ryan Green. Yeah, Ryan Green was pretty impressive um, for BU last season. Uh, I believe he put up 31 points in 39 games. Um, yes. And I mean, I, that's really impressive considering he was the third-line center for that team. Um, he has a good mix of offensive skill and defensive ability, in my opinion. It's just a question of his ceiling. Yeah, I would say so as well. I think that on a team like the Blackhawks, if you're a guy who is a center like him, and you have more in Bedard, that gives you a really good role to fill in to like, that like very high-caliber 3C role, and that is something that I think that Ryan Green could definitely strive to achieve on the Blackhawks, and I'm really excited to see where he goes from here, where he goes next season with BU, because obviously last season he didn't have the biggest role, and that's probably going to be the case again next season because they just got Macklin Celebrini, who is going to probably go top three in the next draft. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he slots in. Um, I'm guessing probably 2C, but I wouldn't be surprised if he um, played a variety of roles for BU next season. Yeah, I think that, of course, the big thing with Ryan Green, pure playmaker, he had 22 assists and only nine goals. So and that's a player that you want, but he's also he also is solid defensively as well. So it's a guy who you could see in a middle six role for um, you, you could see him in a middle six role for the Blackhawks in the future. And that's what you would want to, and that's what you would hope to be the case for a player who you draft in the late second round. If you can get a 3C from a late second round pick, that's solid. Um, next up in tier three is another second round pick, but this one was this most recent draft, and it is skilled Russian Roman Kantsarov. Yeah, uh, as Tyler said, uh, Roman Kantsarov is very skilled. Um, He's fast, but he's very small. I believe he's 5'9". Um, he dominated the MHL last season. Uh, I think the big thing is he needs to prove it against uh, pro KHL competition. The other thing is he is an older birthday as well. Um, I think he has a ton of skill, but it's just how it translated, uh, translates against the pro level, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel a similar way as well. I need to see him playing in the KHL or VHL next season. When you're a September birthday, who was one of the older players in your draft, and now you're going to be 19 all of next year, you can't be going back to the MHL and consider yourself the second-round caliber talent. So I would hope to believe he's going to be at a higher level next season that he can perform well at. Uh, The other thing is, just uh, mentioning this, um, the past two preseason games that he's played, um, he has uh, two goals and a primary assist for what it's worth. Last two games, you said? Yeah, last two preseason games, he has two two goals and a primary assist. Yes. Yeah, and that's obviously what you want from from a guy is 
fight for a spot on the team, and hopefully he earns it. Uh, he would be on Metalurg Magnitogorsk. Uh, that's what he's that's who he's playing for in, in uh, preseason this year, and we'll see where he goes from there. Um, but it's exciting. At least I hope it can stay exciting for uh, Kansarov. Um, and the last guy is a guy who's a bit older, but has had a meteoric rise over the last two years. Um, Ilya Safanov has found his way from a pretty consensus tier five player about a year ago to solidly or to sliding his way into tier three because of a fantastic season in the KHL last year where he was a leader at just 21 years old. Yeah, Ilya Safanov, uh, as Tyler mentioned, he broke out in the KHL last year. He posted 19 goals and 37 points in 64 uh, KHL games. And he was mostly playing as the first-line center for um, Akbar's Kazan as well. Um, he al- and he also served as the captain and assistant captain throughout the year. Um, the big question with him is if he can uh, repeat and build on it. Um, and I also think... Similarly to uh, Ryan Green, I don't think he has the highest offensive upside either, but he's pretty well-rounded and he has some size. Um, And in my opinion, I think he'd be in the NHL right now if it wasn't for his KHL contract. Um, And in my opinion, he probably projects as a third-line center. Yeah, I would say so as well, and I would hope to be that would end up being the case. Um, Moving on to the defensemen, and we've got five defensemen in this tier. Uh, First one... um, Ethan Delmaster, who is mean and wants to destroy you. <laughs> Eeg. He is humongous. I'm so excited for Ethan Delmaster this year. He's been playing Rockford. So the thing with Ethan Delmaster is, um, like Tyler said before many, many times, um, he's big and he's mean and he wants to stir the pot. Um, what's the famous saying? It, he's a player that you love to have on your team but you hate to play against them and we have not had a player like that on Rockford in a long time that can actually back up their their play with their 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 trash talking with good play and for that reason I'm very excited for Ethan Delmastro yeah um I was able to get a quick look of uh, a game that uh Delmastro played uh last year um was very impressed by what he showed um I do think that he chases physicality a couple times or so, which of course is not great. Um, however, I do think that there were a lot of times where it was very, it was really uh, impressed by his performances, especially his breakout passing, which I think is solid, simple, and almost always works. Um, he's not really much of a power play guy, of course, but he is consistently out there on the penalty kill. And I think that, uh, Delmastro could end up being a quality defenseman for the Blackhawks. And I think he's been pretty underrated by some outlets. Yeah, I was um, kind of surprised by how much offense he had this past year, too. Like, he was over a point per game with both both Mississauga and, um, and Sarnia. It was kind of impressive. Um, and to go along with the defense and physicality that he has as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a solid player who does... He is more than just a black hole offensively. There is some element of offense there that I would like to see how much there is when it comes to moving into the uh, uh, AHL. But of course, you know, you can't really say much bad about having a defense first defenseman who is very good at defense. 
and at, at least if that's the case, then you can say that that is a solid player to have. Um, other players that we have in Tier 3 for defensemen, um, next guy is Wyatt Kaiser, who played mostly in college last season, but performed very well towards the end of that season and then got some NHL game time. Most of you probably saw that NHL game time, and he was all right. I think that he did pretty well, but I think that he'll probably spend more time in the AHL this year, in my opinion. I'm excited for him to play for Rockford as well, because isn't there offen- Isn't there a really good offensive upside with Kaiser? Yeah, I, I'm mixed on his offense. Like Sometimes it can be really good, but other times it's like it's just not there just a matter of consistency i i'd be more a fan of like his mobility i think that's what i've heard too yeah yeah, i think his mobility is what really stands out about kaiser and that's being a good athlete is always a good thing so well yeah we know he's a fantastic athlete there was that game a couple years ago where he was playing like over an hour because the game went into five overtimes Uh, it was a college hockey playoff game they were playing against it was it was minute it was it was Minnesota Duluth versus North Dakota, um, and it was uh, two years ago, and game went into five overtimes, and he played almost an hour of ice time. It was pretty wild. Uh, very impressive. There was a stat. I think he only gave up one scoring chance against in that game, too. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. yeah I think John's right. It was something crazy. It was, <laughs> it was just it really was, impressive to see that. It was absolutely wild. And again, he put up three assists in nine games for the Blackhawks last year after getting called up. So I would not say that we're I, I wouldn't say that we're not gonna see Wyatt Kaiser in the NHL next year, because I believe we are definitely gonna see some Wyatt Kaiser in the NHL next year. I just don't think it'll be like every game and he will be an everyday player. I think there will be some time in the AHL. Yeah. I would agree with that as well. Because I think he is what he is where Alex Vlasic was one year ago. In terms of like the development plan, yeah. I yeah, in terms that. of development plan. Mm-hmm. Moving on to another guy uh, who played a lot in the AHL last year, unlike Kaiser, who we see maybe doing so next year, Isaac Phillips, who has been skyrocketing up these lists over the last couple of years, going from a 2025th rounder, who made the AHL right away because of COVID reasons, and then has been an AHL regular the last three years and done rather well for himself, especially to start this season. Yeah, he was arguably the best defenseman last year in the AHL to start the season. It was him and David Jerichek of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, I mean, what can I say also about Isaac Phillips that we haven't said on this podcast? Um, He's physical, he can put up points, and he's defensively sound nine times out of ten. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to seeing more of Phillips at the NHL level because I think that after he got sent back down last year, I think that his performances in the AHL were not as good as we saw previously, which is not what you want to see, obviously. I would agree with that. But I would love to see what Isaac Phillips could do. I want to see him be be great as an NHL defenseman. And I don't think we've seen it yet, but I do think it's there. I would agree with that. I think there's another level to his uh, game. Absolutely. Um, Three defensemen down, two more to go. The next one is a guy who is far different from everyone else we've mentioned so far. Uh, Sam Renzel, who, unlike everyone else, where Del Mastro is all about uh, 
he's all about uh, physicality. Kaiser is a college player who's older and is certain is more, it has more certainty to him. Phillips more certainty, and the next guy Vlasic again a bit of an older guy. Renzel on the other hand, young guy, extremely young for his draft class, played in the USHL last season, is the guy who's going to be at Minnesota with Oliver Moore next year. In fact, they will actually be roommates at Minnesota next year, and he's really tall but also very talented offensively. He's a very uh, skilled skater, if not completely refined yet. Yeah, the Hawks opted to go with um, ceiling over certainty with that pick. Um, yeah, he was. He's a very polarizing player, I'll say. Um, very talented, as Tyler mentioned, but he's also very raw. And I think his play at uh, Minnesota will be very important to show like what type of player he's going to be. To go along with the raw thing, uh, Tyler mentioned in a thread uh, this past year that uh, he has trouble back-checking, which is definitely a concern. But uh, if anyone's going to fix it, it's Minnesota because they have a great hockey p- program. I think that one thing with Sam Renzel, I think that there will be some growing pains defensively next year. I think there will be moments in time where he does get uh, taken and he he looks like a turnstile and he is completely uh, destroyed. I think it's something that absolutely could possibly happen at multiple times this season because there is still an issue of him having trouble transitioning, turning around, uh, going from being back-checking to uh, for b- backward skating to forward skating uh, when he's turning around because he has to chase somebody. That's a bit of an issue, and often it can lead to like hooking penalties because you just have to put something out there to try and stop them and stop a breakaway. That's something that you need to see get better because Ed, especially as well, often his power skating seemed to be very lackluster and far from what you would want from a player of his caliber, especially his talent, because he's a guy who's capable of doing spinoramas in the neutral zone at six foot five as a def- as a right shot defenseman. There is so much there. There is Dougie Hamilton upside, but there's also like barely an AHL player downside. I think that's a fair assessment because like his ceiling is just very high, and it'll be interesting to see what the Hawks can get out of him once he's fully developed. Absolutely. Um, and the last defenseman, guy who played all of last year, practically all of last year in the AHL and was probably the best defenseman on the team when all things are said and done, Alex Vlasic. Yeah, so Alex Vlasic was, as you said, probably over the course of the year our best defenseman, but I think, as I mentioned earlier, Isaac Phelps was probably, his peak best was probably better. But over the course of the whole season, Alex Vlasic was the best defenseman. Um I just love I just love his game. He's physical. Um he shot he like shot out of nowhere or not out of nowhere but like it was a very unexpected jump he made this past season in his rookie season in the AHL. Um I like to mention this a lot um when I talk about him. He got injured. I think it was like something with his leg. He was out for like a month and he came back against Iowa and then he was like that was like one of his best games I've seen of him. Really encouraging that he comes back from a month-long injury and then he plays super well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, feel feel that way as well. I think that with Vlasic, uh, 
you're looking at a guy who probably will be full-time NHLer this year. Yeah, I think so. And I think that with yeah. some of the other guys who we haven't, there's a couple guys in Tier 3 who we have that we're looking at being full-time NHLers next year. And that transitions us perfectly into one of the two goalies who is going to be a full-time NHLer this year, spending all of last year in Rockford, Arvid Soderblom. A uh, bit of a chaotic season for Soderblom last year. Uh, how, what else can you say other than chaos? Yeah. I mean, we've talked so much about Soderblom this season and how we've disagreed with his development path and that sort of, or those sort of topics. But uh, I think he'll be good if he's a 1B, which, or in the NHL next season, which is a. Uh, Hard to see because of the goalie in front of him, Peter Mrazek. Not even his quality. It's it's not it's not Mrazek's quality. It's his health concerns. Yeah, that's what I was trying to like. Yeah, like yeah, I just wanted injured. to clarify that. It's like, it's just like an in- inevitability at this Absolutely. point with Peter Mrazek and his health. Was what led to uh, Soderblom's messed up development last year. I mean, that was the most predictable thing. Both Mrazek and Stalock getting hurt. Um, I mean, we probably we probably have an episode of us predicting it before the season started. I would not be surprised. I wouldn't either. Um, and the second uh, goaltender in Tier 3, who is expected to be the starter in Rockford this year, but as we saw last year with the whole Mrazic thing, there's some concerns about where what will happen if we have an injury to a goaltender. That is Drew Camesso, who... I cannot think of a way for a goaltender to have three as as inconsistent seasons as all three of Drew Camesso's seasons were, yet still have practically the same save percentage every single season. There were games in all of his years where he gave up like six or more goals, and yet he ended like each season 9-15, 9-14, He's going to be in Rockford next year, but... There's probably going to be some growing pains, and there will likely be some games where he just flounders. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna suck when that happens because we've had, for the most part, pretty stable goaltending the last few seasons in Rockford, and like the goaltending has been saving the defense at at a lot of points these last couple seasons, but uh. Maybe we'll we'll take a one eighty and have the defense save the goaltender. That would be if Drew Kamez That would not be very intriguing. Um, I want to pause before we move into tier four and just give a little bit of a recap about where we're at right now. Over the course of the first three tiers, we have mentioned seven forwards, six defensemen, and two goalies. You look at that and you say, "Well, that's a pretty decent spine for the future of the franchise." Even if you might want more goaltending. But we have a lot of def- we have a we have um we have nine forwards in tier four and ten in tier five, and if you're looking there, you're probably going to get some guys from there who can step up into the higher tiers over the next couple of years, or more importantly, step into the lineup of the Blackhawks the next couple of years. So I think that the Blackhawks prospect pyramid or prospect pool, especially with the picks we have going forward that haven't even been used yet, is really solid at the moment. And I think that the team's only going to get better and better and better moving forward. And the pool's going to keep getting deeper and deeper. I mean, there's no way it can't get, can't get any deeper. We have like, we have so many picks next, these next couple of years. We have like nine 
picks in the first like three rounds yeah or something crazy like that and it's crazy to think just how far this team has come where our prospect pool was so thin that we were subjected to sticking michael tepley in tier three (laughs) or when the hawks or when the hawks scouts uh said well gave ian mitchell the most like awards among the prospects that was that was an interesting time it was only three and a half years ago that our top, our quote unquote top prospects were Ian Mitchell, Nicholas Bodan, Philip Kershev, before he was drafted, Lucas Reichel, Edmund Barrett, and Wyatt Kalanuk. That's not very good. That is pretty tragic. And to think that at one point we were there and not making the playoffs, and now we're still not making the playoffs, but. We have uh, Bedard and Korczynski and Moore. Uh, much better, much better, much happier. Now we're going to transition over to Tier 4, where there is a mix of very intriguing players, some guys who were potentially overdrafted, and new guys to the system who are a bit unproven but could work their way into being much higher players and could easily find themselves in Tier 3 very soon. We have nine forwards in this tier, one defenseman, and only one goalie. And I want to start with the first couple of forwards that we're going to mention. I want to start with the WHL guys, and those are the two guys, Colton Dock and Jalen Lipen. Yeah, we're probably a bit lower on Colton Dock than most people. Um, I just don't think he was that amazing in his WHL career, and the other thing is his injuries. Um, they're both concerns for me. I think he's a fine player, but I don't think anything stands out. I mean, his shot may be a little bit in his size, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to get him uh, to the NHL. I would love to see what Colton Dock can do in the AHL next season. I'm really intrigued by it. But over the course of his time with um, Kelowna Rockets, Saskatoon Blades, Seattle Thunderbirds, um, he's been all right. He's been good at the WHL level. And he played pretty well for Canada at the World Juniors before he got hurt inevitably again because that's what docs do. They get injured. They need the doctor. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for the intro. <laughs> thank you so much for the intro. I... I hate you, Wally. I, that is that is the intro now. You are you, that You're that saying is dad jokes. that is the intro You're now. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You're saying dad jokes when you're like younger than me. Like what the hell? But um, and then along with him, uh, Colton Dock was on a dominant Seattle Thunderbirds team last season. A uh, guy who was on a dominant WHL team the year before, Jalen Lipen, who was playing on that unbelievable Edmonton Oil Kings team. Yeah, apparently the Hawks want to be the next Brandon Hagel, but I don't know if I see that personally. He's just really small, but he is very fast, and I think he's competitive as well. I just don't know if he is skilled enough, and I don't know if he's big enough to make the NHL, but he had some games for Rockford in the playoffs where he was actually pretty impressive, but he needs to add a lot of strength a lot of strength if he wants to make the NHL. Something something I noticed 
with Jalen, albeit it was like, I think at most he played like five games in the AHL last year, but he was going like 120 miles per hour and, and like every time he stepped on the ice. So maybe he can turn to the next Brandon Hagel, but I'm not going to bet he on him. He has that motor, then that's definitely a good first step. But you also absolutely have to have at least some level of strength and muscle because the biggest thing that was the, that was the case with Hagel was his ability to crash the boards, win puck battles, and then beat guys in front of the net to lose to lose pucks. So if those are things that he can develop, then sure, I can see it. But I would need to see it at a physical level like the AHL, unlike the WHL, which is certainly nowhere near as physical as the AHL. I think all these prospects, though, should be... Uh, expected to put on more weight because of the development camp this year. They did more like workout, like like they did more workout room stuff than like skating stuff. You know. Yeah, I would think so as well. Um, along with that, uh, there are guys who have are really raw in terms of their physical development in the system. I don't know if I'd say that for Lipen though, because he's a bit older than everyone else. He just turned twenty one. I think I think he might just be kind of small. He's listed right now. I mean, his he's not like he's five ten, so not super short. Um, but he's one hundred and fifty four pounds. And when you watched Rockford in those three games, he just didn't have any strength. Um, so hopefully, with the Blackhawks and the Ice Hogs, he can uh, develop that a bit more. And I think he could have an NHL future if he continues to develop physically. Yeah, and I think I want to transition this over to. Our only QMJHL uh, prospect in Tier 4, and that is Samuel Savoie. And the primary reason I want to do that is because you were talking about Jalen Lipin not being strong enough. Both Savoie and Lipin are 5'10", but Lipin's listed at 155, and Savoie's listed at 190. You can see that Savoie already has like a pretty strong frame on him that allows him to be physical at even the QMJHL level, which is certainly not very physical and won't be as physical moving forward with the recent uh, removal of fighting from QMJHL games. Yeah, I don't think the fighting should impact him that much. He's only had two fights, I believe, in his uh, three-year QMJHL career. Um, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I think most of his penalties might be what you consider dumb penalties. Because um, he's, he's a little bit of an instigator, um, which the Hawks need. He kind of reminds me of Andrew Shaw, but a way better skater. Um, I think he's going to be a fan favorite if he makes NHL. I mean, he was a fan favorite in prospect camp last year and um, when they took on uh, Minnesota, the Minnesota prospects in uh, the Tom Curvers tournament. Um, but hopefully next year he can put up some more points for, for Quebec, or Gatineau, not Quebec, uh, Gatineau. Um, cause he was just under a point per game last season, but he had some really good stretches. I believe he had like 32 points in like a 21 game stretch, but his start to the, the, season, the, end of the season. season weren't very good. Yeah. Yeah. Starting on to the season weren't great. Oh. Yeah. Scoring as many points as Savoie did in the QMJHL was a bit of a shocker because he was never seen as much of an offensive producer. He only put up half point a game in his uh, draft year. But to see what he did last year, where he moved into a point-of-game player at that level, of course, QMJHL is known for having pretty poor defenses. But despite that, it's still nice to see a third-round pick who is primarily known for, for being a good motor guy 
having that translate into offense because he's also a very good skater as well. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think combination of good skating and good motor and physicality is always something that you want to see, and it's pretty projectable as well. Yeah, I want to ask one more question. Um, what do you think about his prospects of being on Canada's World Junior team next year? Yeah, I know um, at The Athletic, they recently put out an article predicting or projecting who they think will make uh, Team Canada and a few other teams. Um, Samuel Savoie was on that list, and he made it as the fourth-line left wing, which I think is realistic. Um, yeah, I, I, think he, I think he definitely has a chance to make it because I think coaches love him, and his style of play really fits in with the bottom six. So I think it's, I think it's reasonable to say that he should or could make it to on Team Canada's uh, World Junior team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the four, yes, four OHL forwards in Tier 4 that we have. Um, Gavin Hayes, Nick Lardis, Martin Mishiak, and Paul Ludwinski. Let's start with Hayes and Ludwinski, as those guys who have been in the system officially for the last year or so. And Paul Ludwinski, to start off, is kind of very similar to Samuel Savoie, um, but one of the things is he didn't have quite as good of a season last year as Savoie did. Yeah, he was he was injured a lot um, last year. Uh, very good skater. Like to me, his skating reminded me of Brandon Hagel a little bit, if I'm being honest. Um, but the offense just wasn't there this year, and he was uh, very injury prone. But excellent skater, very high motor, um, and similar to Savoie, he also hit the gritty after scoring the goal. So that's cool. He did do that as well. Um... Along with that, uh, next guy is a bit of a uh, shift from what we've talked about so far with uh, Ludwinski and Savoie. Uh, Gavin Hayes, uh, primarily a shoot-first player, um, but there have been some concerns about how high his motor truly is and what he provides when the shot isn't falling. Yeah, I know you watched him a little bit, Tyler. Um I mean, obviously the goal scoring, 40, 41 goals in the OHL last year. Um, but he was kind of visible in the playoffs. Um, but pretty impressive, like, point-wise, to go from 49 points in 65 games the year prior to 81 uh, in 66 games. Um, I mean, I feel like what mostly you can say about him, great shot. Um, I think he – I don't really know too much about him. I think – He's, I mean, he's, he's decently sized, I would say, um, but he's definitely different from a lot of the picks that the Hawks made last year. Yeah, I think that one of the things with Gavin Hayes, I noticed is he had three hat tricks last season, but then I went and I watched the clips of those nine goals, and what I noticed was first, first hat trick, uh, first goal was a bouncing puck goal that just kind of found its way in the net. Second one was a one-timer, and the third one was an empty netter. Second hat trick, one-timer, one-timer, empty netter. Third hat trick, deflection, crashing the net on a rush, and empty netter. (laughs) So all of them had an empty netter, and three of them were one-timers, which I think really tells you the kind of goal scorer that he is. And then moving on to another guy who had a ridiculous scoring stretch last season, uh, Nick Lardis, who found his way into the early third round of the draft after not having the best start of the season with the Peterborough Peets, but having a fantastic end of the season with the Hamilton Bulldogs. 
Yeah, I think everyone's production kind of wasn't very good on the Peets. Um, I believe they had quite a few like NHL prospects. I think Owen Beck was on that team. Um, was Othman on that team, I believe, as well? Yes, both of them were on that team. Yeah, there were quite a few players on that team that didn't produce offensively. Um, I think he was hurt by that, but once he was traded to Hamilton, he kind of popped off. He had 25 goals and 46 points in 33 games and had five goals and 10 points in six playoff games. Uh, definitely more of a goal scorer, fast. Um, he's kind of similar to Kansaroff in the way that um, it'll be interesting to see how far his skill will take him because uh, if it's not high enough, he won't make it that far, but you don't really know, and I th- feel like this next year with Brantford will be pretty telling for, um, for Lardis. Yeah, um, absolutely. Bit of a unique uh, twist of fate there. When Nick Lardis was traded, uh, the player he was traded for was actually Avery Hayes, who you might notice is actually Gavin Hayes' older brother. So I found that a bit interesting. Um, and the only uh, player who we're going to talk about when it comes to OHL players who is not from Canada or is not from North America, uh, Martin Mishiak, the, uh, the Slovakian, who is playing for the Erie Otters next season, uh, but he was not in the OHL last year. He played half a season in the Slovak League and half the season in the USHL. Um, quick correction, it's actually a Slovak, not Slovakian. Um, but anyways... Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, Martin Mishiak, he is an interesting player. Um, my main question with him is how high is his offensive upside? I feel like you could see it at times last year, but I feel like with him, he's just mostly like a really good athlete, I would say, very developed physically. Um, he wasn't great um, for, is it Youngston or Youngstown? Youngstown. Um, Youngstown, he wasn't very good for like point wise um, in the regular season, but he kind of turned it up on their playoff run, which ended um, with the USHL championship, uh, where he had 10 points in nine games. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does for a young Erie team in the OHL next season. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see where he can go because I think we had mentioned previously that he was going to end up on a different OHL, he was going to end up on a different CHL team. Uh, he was drafted the previous year, second overall in the import draft by Saginaw, but then he ended up back in the import draft pool and was taken first overall this time by the Erie Otters. Um, and we're going to quickly run through the last couple of forwards that we haven't mentioned so far. Um, first one, we'll actually take a quick detour over to the AHL and talk about Cole Gutman, who spent some time in the NHL last season, but spent most of his time in the AHL last year, and was a very quality second-line center for that Rockford team. Uh, yeah, Cole Gutman was one of our best players last year as a 23-year-old. Um, it's unfortunate that he has so much skill, but is a little bit older of a prospect, because you don't get this is probably his peak what we're seeing right now or near his peak um good skater good shot he scored i think it was like 20 goals last year and 16 and 39 okay so he probably would have gotten in the high 20s if he played most of the year in the AHL 
but uh, he played pretty good in uh, the NHL when given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I believe he did miss some time in the AHL season as well before getting called up at all. He might have been injured. Um, but at most, that was probably like five games because I can't remember that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, last guy, last forward that we have in Tier 4, uh, Aiden Thompson, third-round pick in the 2022 draft. Um, bit of an older guy, but he was very, very good last year for University of Denver in the NCAA. Yeah, he, he was roughly point of game from what I recall. Um, I mean, the name of the game with him is speed. It is with a lot of these guys, I feel like a broken record at times saying, oh yeah, this guy's very fast, great skating, but that is what some of the prospects are in the system. Um, he is an older, he was an older freshman, I believe by two years. Um, so I'd imagine if he has another decent year, I'd imagine he'd sign with Chicago. At least I'd hope so, because I think it would be, I don't know what the word would be, but I, I don't think it would be valuable for him return for another year to college assuming he performs well again he should be playing I would imagine a top center role for uh, Denver again Um, it'll be interesting to see how he performs yeah and I think that this thing that we're mentioning so much with speed I feel like there will be a point in time if all these guys who have speed end up hitting and we get a lot of really good players in this I wonder if there ends up being a case where the Blackhawks end up being one of the best uh, teams uh, in terms of playing off the rush, getting the puck in your own zone, quickly transitioning into the attacking in, in, across the across both blue lines, and just quickly scoring goals from there. Two on ones, three on twos, those kind of things. I think that that's something that we could be really good at if all these guys with speed end up hitting. That sounds like a lot of fun hockey, and it sounds like a lo- it sounds like not a lot of dump and chase hockey. Which please, no. oh, that would be great. I don't want to see so much dump and chase anymore. Um, and we got two more guys in tier four before we quickly roll through five and six. Um, next up, Nolan Allen, who is the only first round pick in tier four, but was a pretty surprising first round pick at that when he was taken 32nd in 2021. Yeah, I'm still kind of dumbfounded by that pick. I don't think Nolan Allen is a bad player. I just. That was definitely not the right pick, especially when there's you see guys like Olin Zellweger was taken just a few picks later. Um, very questionable selection. I think, I mean, he's a solid skater. He's good defensively, decent size. I think they're. I think he projects as a third pairing defenseman, but not really much else. And that's that's kind of his peak as well. I, I'm just not. I was just not a fan of that pick. I think everyone and their mother. Uh, likes him as a player, but he was definitely overdrafted, which is not mm. is which kind of sucks because everyone will look at him as a failed or most likely failed first round pick, but when he's actually a decent player. Yeah, I would like to see where he can go moving forward, but maybe the lack of expectations that we've had this in, this whole time on him, the fact that we kind of just look at his first round selection status is kind of a joke. Maybe that will be good for him and that he can, you know, kind of just go under the shadows and become a contributing NHL player in the future. 
and we will move into our last tier four player, which is uh, our very recent second round pick, the only goalie in tier four, Adam Guyon, who, if you remember, was unbelievable in the World Juniors for Team Slovakia, but was not the best in terms of his uh, junior hockey performances last year between both the NAHL and the USHL. Yeah, he, he kind of came out of nowhere uh, at the World Juniors and was very impressive. I believe he won goaltender of the tournament. Um, yeah, he, he was unbelievable there. Uh, he is a very athletic goalie, good size. He still needs to add like a little bit more muscle and um, weight, but I think it's a good foundation. I think he has a very high ceiling, but his floor is very, very, very low. Um, He's returning to the USHL next season, which will be a big indicator, I believe, um, of where he'll look in the future. So hopefully he has a good year next season. Yeah, I would hope so as well. I think that there were probably better selections that could have been made, especially and even if you wanted to go with a goaltender at the time. But I'm going to let them handle this one until this uh, management as pr- proves me wrong, they don't know what they're doing when it comes to goaltending. I'll let them do it. I will just say I am looking at it with uh, gritted teeth. They haven't been great with goalies, as I kind of mentioned earlier, with uh, <laughs> with the management of Marvin Soderblom. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that doesn't give a ton of confidence. Um, and with that, we are going to take a transition from Tier 4, and move into Tier 5. Now, this is more fringes of guys, so we're going to go through a, th- through these guys a bit quicker. I'm going to start with, we have 10 forwards to discuss, but we have, we, we, again, I'm going to restart. We have 10 forwards to discuss. I want to start by looking at the three forwards who played in college hockey last season, Dominic James, Ryder Rolston, and Landon Slaggart. I think that you can start with Slaggart and Rolston because they were both on Notre Dame last year. Uh, Rolston is definitely more of a skilled player who probably doesn't necessarily have the consistency to be more than an AHL talent, whereas Slagger is a guy who has lack is lacking production, but is a player that does a lot more than the points say in terms of forechecking, aggression off the puck, uh, winning the puck back. Um, those are the kind of things that he does really well, and. Uh, Wollaston signed his entry-level contract, Slaggart did not, and with that, um, Slaggart might be a free agent at the end of next season, depending on whether or not he signs. Um, Wollaston, on the other hand, will be in the AHL this year with Rockford, and I think he's, at, at minimum, a very good AHL player. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think his speed and individual skill give him him a chance so mm-hmm. we'll move on to dominic james talk about him for just a small amount uh james was a sixth round pick in 2022 he was a surprise inclusion on the usa's world junior team but he was all right there he performed rather he performed okay um got slagged off by uh brent sopel <laughs> <laughs> um and then he performed really well last year for minnesota duluth in terms of just being a good college hockey player decent shot uh, 28 points in 35 games, but he is a bit of an older player. He just turned 21. Uh, I'm not sure if 
that is enough to go beyond that point. Yeah, I think he's a little similar to Aiden Thompson, maybe maybe not as much offense. Um, I think he's still a pretty fast player. Actually, I think he may have led the World Junior Championship in like highest speed, from what I recall, or one of the top speeds when he played. Um, yeah, I just don't know if the offense is going to be there um, to be an NHL player. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, uh, we're going to talk about uh, guys who played in junior hockey last season in the CHL. And it starts with uh, Nick's favorite name, uh, Marcel Marcel, <laughs> <laughs> who has been hilarious uh, to to talk to um, since we've heard him. He has just been uh, every reporter's uh, favorite player from development camp. Besides having a great name and being... Uh... Very funny. Um, he's he's a very big player. I believe he's listed around six six two forty ish, and he can get around at that size, which is pretty impressive. Um, he played with Samuel Savoy and Gadino in the QMJHL. Somewhat middling stats, to be honest. But at the World Juniors, is he kind of um, he kind of popped off a little bit. I believe he had five points in six games. Uh, six and uh, seven. It was pretty good for uh, six and seven. Which is pretty good for uh, Czechia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's also signing with Rockford for a year. I should also mention that. Yes. So. Um, and from there, we'll transition over to a couple guys who will be in Rockford next season, as long with Marcel Marcel. Starting with Antti Sarla, who was playing in Finland the last couple years, was unsure if he would actually sign an ELC when his rights expired, but he ended up signing, and he'll be in Rockford next season. Yes, he's fast. He has a good shot. He, it's weird though. Like his, like his skating form is so weird. If you look it up, it's like he's just standing upright. It looks so weird sometimes, and his shot's also a little weird. But it's impressively like a really hard shot. Um, decent defensively. I just don't know how much offense he has because he never really lit it up in Liga. Um, but an interesting prospect, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And Michael Tepley as well. Um, if we want to talk about 2019 draft picks who might have stagnated as of late, especially 2019 fourth-round picks because both of them were, Michael Tepley fits that bill just as well. Wasn't playing overseas, but he's been playing in the AHL the last three years and never quite took that next step that some of us thought he could. Don't remind me, Tyler. I have PTSD. <laughs> um... I mean, Tepley was good two years ago, like really good two years ago. Like a lot of, like I said it with Slavin too, like both were really good two years ago and then both disappointed this season. Unfortunate. I do think that the overall increase in the talent quality of the Rockford Icehogs meant that some of the more middling prospects didn't get to shine as much because there was better players around them or because there were better players taking those roles. That could be a factor. Let's not forget that two years ago, Evan Barrett was like one of the top leading scorers on the Rockford Icehogs. We were bad. We were down horrendous. The first line was Tepley, Reichel, and Ulti Barmakian. So. Well, this was before. I'm talking about before Reichel. Oh, yeah. Well, it was even worse. Even when we put him on the top, in the top six, though, because of injuries, he didn't do well, though. Like, he was still playing with Reichel last season, or when he was in the top six, he was playing with Reichel, and it wasn't good. Yeah, I think 
I think Tepley has had some flashes, but it's never been consistent enough is the problem. Yeah, I would definitely feel that same way as well. Um, we have a couple more uh, guys to discuss in Tier 5. Um, the last uh, two, or we have, we have uh, four more up here. We'll go over to the two uh, Swedish players next. Um, starting with Victor uh, Hamburg is what we will say. We will just, we'll just say that that's how it's pronounced. Um, uh, don't try and spell it like that. Uh, it's, if you want to try and spell it, uh, it's Stjernborg, I guess. But he went, he's a guy who, it seemed like there was a point in time where it was really falling off for him, but he actually had a really fantastic end to last season. Yeah, he, he had, um, seven points in 18 playoff games, and I believe in the final game where, um, for, um, Vasho, um, yeah, he, he had, uh, he was the first star, and uh, they won um, the SHL championship, um, which is twice now in his pretty pretty young career. I believe he's nineteen twenty. He is twenty. Um, pretty impressive. Uh, he also served as the captain um, for Sweden's under twenty team at the World Juniors. Um, not great offensively, but the real thing with him is his defense, his skating, and his motor. Um, and maybe that'll be enough to get him to the NHL. I know people were raving about like his um, certainty to make the NHL, but I just don't know if the offense is there um, right now with him. Mm-hmm. He did score one really important goal for Sweden at the World Juniors. I do wonder if he needs to leave Vasho to get the ice time that could propel him into an NHL career. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Um, I just don't know if he's actually going to leave because the team's just... Actually, he's mm-hmm. signed a two-year contract, so never mind. He, he won't be leaving um, unless... I think there's trades. Yeah, I think he can be traded. I don't know. There's trades, there's loans, there's transfers. It's, it's similar to soccer. Yeah. But I'd imagine he'll probably just stay with, the, stay with them, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another Swede, Milton Oscarson, who was just recently drafted, but is was born the same year as Victor Kronborg, as like Kronborg, who just turned 20. Milton Oscarson is also 20. In fact, he's older than Victor Kronborg. Yeah, he's, he's also a very big player. Um, and similarly uh, to Kronborg, um, he didn't have the best regular season. He had three points in 45 games in the SHL. But in the playoffs, he had four goals and six points in 13 games. So it's kind of funny how both those players are playoff performers, I guess. So that, that's pretty cool. They both also had two points in the World Juniors for Sweden last year. Like Their, their profiles are actually quite identical, which is pretty crazy. The only difference is Oscarsson is 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Meanwhile... Kronborg is 5'10". Um, Last two forwards to discuss, Alex Ferrand and Yuri Felkman, who were third-round picks drafted by the Hawks this year. Um, Maybe seen as a bit, a couple reaches by a little bit at least there. Um, There are some of the, I think those were picks that you could have capitalized on more value there than than you got with Felkman, but they really wanted to go for the biggest players they could possibly find. And they definitely did that with uh, with Felkman, at least. They definitely found 
definitely found massive players there between Falkman and Ferrandez. Falkman 6-4 and Ferrandez 6-3. Yeah, I wonder if they're looking to kind of get something similar with what they got with us, Safanov or Safanov. So, but yeah, I don't really know too much about the players if I'm being completely honest. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play this year, though. Mm-hmm. Falkman was playing in the under-20 Swiss League last year. I really would like to believe that he's going to find his way into the SHL or the Swiss uh, second division next year. I, can't, I don't think that he can be playing in the under-20 league again if we're looking at a player that could actually have an NHL That's future. where he's projected to play again. He has not played a single... That's pre- the thing. He hasn't played a single preseason game with... Uh, is it Lang now? He hasn't played a single preseason Lang game. Now, yeah, yeah. And that's elite prospects. That's where they have him projected to play this year. So. And on top of that, he wasn't drafted in the import draft either. No. So, I guess that's rather unfortunate. And then Ferrand, he'll be with Sudbury next year. Um, he had a decent season. Uh, wasn't particularly great with the under-18s. Uh, you'd like to see him be a leader on that team next year if you're going to take... He was an early fourth, so obviously it's low risk, but you'd like to see more from him if you want to see the opportunity for him to climb up this ladder. Um, five more players to go in Tier 5. Um, Two of them played in Rockford last year as defensemen, and that is Philip Bruce and Louis Crevier. So, John, thoughts? Uh, we are Philip Bruce stands. He is the perfect defenseman ever created by man. Uh, Louis Crevier is a probably lifetime AHLer, unfortunately, because I like him a lot as a player, and he won. He won a team award this year. I forgot what it was, but that was cool to see. Yeah. I will say, I'm actually not as big of a fan of Phil Bruce as uh, as you and Wally have been. From what I've seen from what I've How seen in the AHL, I actually there was times I was watching his AHL play and I was like, I'm not a big I'm not really impressed by this. I think that there's times where he, he gave a puck away a couple times, got turnstile a couple times. I, I and I, I think that his I think that the analytics really did over overrate his NHL performance. I can't say I really thought that he was quite that good when he played in the NHL last season. Um, maybe he has Jackson Stauber syndrome. He plays better in the NHL than the Maybe NHL. that's the case. I mean, maybe maybe that is that would be very. <laughs> we'll get to Jackson Stauber. Uh, we'll get Jackson Stauber just in a couple seconds. Um, but I do want to give a, cu- a couple minutes. Um, actually. We will let's 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 go to Jackson Stauber now. We'll talk about one of the two goalies. Um, uh, but Jackson Stauber uh, was a guy that we signed as an undrafted free agent um, out of, I believe, Providence College. I believe he's from Providence College. Um, yeah, which is the same school that Tage Harding is at right now. Who we'll get to in just a second. Um, Stauber was a um, he was a goaltender who performed. Eh, not great last year in the AHL, but when he got into the NHL, something changed, and he just played out of his mind in his NHL game time last year. It was very odd, and despite playing that well, it was, was very odd. odd. And despite that, he still projects as the number four goaltender in the system this year. As we have said time and time again, the goalies are weird, so maybe, God forbid, fingers crossed, if goalies get injured which we are hoping it does not is not the case maybe he'll be not 
too good in the NHL like he was last year because, again, goalies I are weird. Would, I, I would not bet. I, I'm not going to say that I don't want him to do well. I think it would be great if he performed fine in the. No, no, I'm not saying I don't want him to do well, but like it would just be so goalie. You know, you're, you're do- he's dominant in the NHL last year and then he comes in his first NHL game this year and he's not. Too yeah, good. that would be very odd. Not ruining against him. I'm just like, it's just like it's. It's it's, it's gonna. You'd happen, like him to play well like. at the level that he's at before he steps up and does amazing. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I do think that because of the way that it's structured, I think he's actually the first call up over Camesso. Hundred percent. He would be my first mm-hmm. call up. Not only because he played well in the NHL, but I, I don't I want call Camesso I don't want to Camesso this team here before he's ready. You got to make yeah. sure that kid's ready before he plays. Um. Well, now. I'm on total yeah, agreement with you. Um, and then on to our other goalie who we have in tier five. Um, yeah, on to the other goalie that we have in tier five. Uh, Dominic Bossy. Bossy had a bit of a difficult start to his time in the NCAA. Uh, did not do very well for Colorado College over those first couple years that he was there. But then he transferred to St. Cloud State last season and did much, much better significantly better. So I'm excited to see what happens with Bossy next year. He was the backup officially last season, but the guy who he was backing up was like 26 years old. So it was a bit weird. He was a college goalie at 26 years old. Um, We'll see what happens with Bossy this year. I think he should be the full-time starter for St. Cloud State. And the final tier five guy who we have is Tage Harding. And Tage is, uh, he's a trip. He's a trip. Uh, that's all I can really say. Um, he's six foot eight. He's Matt, or no, he's six seven. Trevier is six eight. Tate Harding is six seven. He's absolutely massive. Um, he was playing in the AJHL as a D plus one when the Hawks drafted him in the third round, which was crazy that that even happened. He's now at Providence College. Um, I got some views of him last season. I think he's more talented than uh, his oft defensive partner in Providence, Connor Kelly, who is also a Blackhawks draft pick. Um, I just think that there's more there with Harding. And he's massive, of course, which is a big thing with him. Um, But he also uses physicality rather well. He's got a decent shot. He put up some points in the NCAA last year. I'm just excited to see what could be there with Tage Harding, even if I don't expect he'll ever become an NHL player. But I do think an AHL contract is in his future. That would be fun to have two, like, six, seven, six, eight guys. He also is, like, considering everything, he's, like, third on our prospect depth chart of right hand of right shot defensemen. Because even though he's not a right-handed guy, no, not many other guys in our system even play right shot. So that really seems to be the case with him. He also was a, often used for Providence as, like, a wing power play threat. So I wonder... If maybe the defense doesn't come around, he could transition into like a fourth line checking role in the future, a la Osipov. Um, and we'll give a quick mention to the tier six guys. Um, a couple of them, we have we have a couple guys who were in college last year. Liam Gorman, who played for Princeton, um, he's going to be at UMass next year. Uh, Connor Kelly, who was playing for Providence last year, as I mentioned, alongside Tage Harding. Um, 
it's unclear where exactly he's going to be next year. I don't know if he's going back to uh, Providence. Not sure what's going on there, if anything even happens. Um, we'll see. We will, we will see with uh, Connor Kelly. Um, and then along with him, uh, those are the two college guys. Nils Juntorp was in the USHL last season. Um, he's going to be playing in the Hockey Eton next year, which is the third division of Sweden. He's still a young guy. He's only 19. So I think that's a cool, I think that's an okay level for him. Um, along with that, we have Mike Hardman, who has played NHL games despite being in tier six, but just not sold on the upside there, not sold on any level of getting past. I think that he's been surpassed significantly by Reese Johnson and Mackenzie Entwistle in terms of guys who can fill in on a fourth line rule. I don't see him making it to the NHL again. Um, Riku Tohila, who was a seventh rounder last year, um, massive again, another very big guy who has oddly some quality upside, but he needs to produce at a semi-decent level before you can even say that that upside is there. Um, Yane Peltinen, who's another uh, Finnish player, but he played, he's a defenseman who was a left shot defenseman who is going to likely be in the Liga this year for Karpat. Uh, he's young, so making it to the uh, top division in Finland would be a good achievement for him. And then the last guy in Tier 6 is Michael Krutel, who was drafted in the fourth round in 2020, but has had arguably the worst development path and just a completely... It's been horrible. It's been absolutely nightmarish for him. He was playing in the second division of Czechia last year, which is way beyond where he, sh way below where he should be at this point in time, because the guy who was drafted after him that year, Isaac Phillips, was playing in the NHL last year. So that's your tier six. There's your tier five. And with that, that's going to end our discussion for the prospect pool pyramid. Um, once again, we have one player in tier one, four in tier two. We have 10 in tier three. We have 11 and 4, 15 in Tier 5, and then 7 in Tier 6. Overall, I think that it's really impressive the way the Hawks are building up our system, and I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to be graduates who will impress you next year. And I want to each ask each of you guys, who is one guy to look out for, Tiers 4 through 6, who you think could make an impact on the Blackhawks in the next year, and then someone else in the next three years? Well, I think the easy selection for like this next year is Cole Gutman. I think that's a pretty, pretty easy one. Um, and next three years, um, that's a little more difficult. I'd probably say let's go with Sam Savoie. Those would be my picks: Cole Gutman and Sam Savoie. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree as well. To be a tiny bit different, I'll go with uh, Cole Gutman and Martin Mishiak. Mishiak. Interesting. We'll see what happens there. Um, who ranked tiers three through six do you think has the highest peak ceiling? I'll start this one, I guess. Oh. Um, I'm going to say Adam Guyon. Adam Guyon? Um, yeah, Adam Guyon. Okay. Wally? Uh, my pick would probably be Sam Renzel. Yeah, I was feeling a similar way with that. I'm, I will also go with Sam Renzel. But I think that second best, I think second best might be Kansarov. Last question. Um, 
which guy in tier five do you think is going to have the best NHL impact? I'll go. Um, I'm going to go with Philip Roos since he's already played in the okay. NHL. I don't know if any of these other guys are going to make it there, but I feel like he's kind of the John? easy pick. I would have to agree with Philip Roos. Um, like Wally said, I don't see. Like maybe you can argue Victor Humborg, but uh, those two, I don't see any of these guys making a huge impact. Okay. Uh, my pick is actually going to be Marcel Marcel. Um, I I think that there is a bottom six role etched into the future for this team if he can take it after playing well in the AHL next year. Um, and with that, that's going to be the end of our prospect pyramid. Again, we are going to post this prospect pyramid on our Hockey Puckcast Twitter account. So please be sure to check out our Twitter account. It is at Hockey Puckcast. Um, and give us a follow over there. And you can check out the Prospect Pyramid in full. You can see the entire thing. It is color-coded by, uh, by position. And then it is separated into those tiers into the pyramid. And then you can have a discussion from there if you would like. But with that, we are going to move on to the last topic of the show which is going to be our line projections for the upcoming season. I want to start here just by saying um, everyone agrees on the two goalies. We have Mrazek and Soderblom. Is that correct for everyone? Yep. Yes. So I don't think there needs to be too much debate there. Um, Camesso will start in the AHL, and you have Mrazek and Soderblom right there. Now from there, now that we've got goaltenders solid and we're all clear on that, I want to move on to forwards next, and we'll start with the top six. So uh, I'm going to list out my top six first, and then we'll go down the line. So my top six, I have Taylor Hall, Connor Bedard, and Philip Kurashev as the first line, and then Lucas Reichel, Andreas Athanasiu, and Taylor Radish as the second line. Um, Wally, are there any changes for you? Um, I have Hall, Bedard, Radish, and then Reichel, Athanasiu, Donato. Donato on the second line, and you have Kurashev outside the top six. Yes. Uh, Nick? Uh, I have Hall, Bedard, Radish, uh, Reichel, Athanasiu, Kurashev on the second line. All right. And then John? I have Reichel, Bedard, Hall on the first line, and then Kurashev, Athanasiu, and then Radish on the second line. All right. So it seems that when it comes to our projections for the top six next year, um, the only real change is kind of like the order as well. Um, I think that, John, you're the only one who put Reichel on the first line. Yep. I think that primarily that's just because of a left versus right thing, which has been the thing that's keeping us kind of away from that. Yeah, I can I can definitely see, uh, like, there's so many line combinations that can you can do with the top six that, uh, Nothing concrete, but I can definitely see Reichel on the second line. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed is that out of everyone, um, Wally, you're the only one who has Ryan Donato in the top six. What is the reason why? I know that you said before that it's mostly because that's what Richardson is probably going to do, but what do you think is the reason why it'll, why that will end up being the case? Yeah, so yeah, I think it was Davidson actually who said like when they signed him that he's going to be a top six guy for them. So. 
in my opinion, I just have him in the top six right now, but I think you could switch it out with Kershev if you wanted to do that. Um, but I think Donato brings, like, a pretty good shot to the top six, and I think that works with guys like Athanasiu and Reichel. Um, and I think he's, I wouldn't say, like, he's not as good of a skater as those two, so he kind of can um, maybe slow them down a little bit, which might seem like at first like as a bad thing but you don't want your guys going 100% like all the time cuz then like obviously that wouldn't be a good thing um and i think he's just kind of like a change of pace type of thing um on that second line um and yeah as i said i think with what davidson said i think he's going to play in the top 6 so yeah um that's so that's uh interesting as well um you guys have uh i see a lot of uh most combinations, um, everyone agrees with Hall and Bedard being on the top line, but um, we had, I, mm-hmm. I had Kurashev there, um, Welly and uh, Nick, you guys both had Radish up there, um, and then John, yeah. you had uh, Reichel just going full send on the top line. Yep. I'm intrigued to see what happens there, because I don't necessarily think that we have the player to fit that spot quite yet. Even really in the organization at all, I think that after mm-hmm. the last draft, what I think that we found more solidly was um, we found out who was going to be like probably the hopeful for second line center for the future, which was Oliver Moore, and I think that we found out how we can make Frank Nazar a top line right winger potentially. I also think that if you have Reichel, Bedard, and Nazar on a top line, that's a very small line. So oh, yeah. I wonder where the size eventually comes in. It's more of a future question, but I do wonder where that is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Ilya Safanov. Ilya Safanov. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, moving on to... Marcel Marcel. <laughs> sure. Why not at this point? Um, we did go for a lot of really big players to finish out that uh, draft this year. So we'll see. Um, moving on to our bottom six. Uh, my bottom six, I've got Donato, Dickinson, Taijo, and then Felino, Reese Johnson, and Corey Perry. Uh, Wally? I have uh, Kershev, Tyler Johnson, Felino. And then Reese Johnson, Jason Dickinson, and Corey Perry. So it's the same people in your top 12. You just have Kershev, Donato flipped, and then a couple of changes inside of there. Um, Nick? I have Donato, Dickinson, Tyler Johnson. And on the fourth line, I have Entwistle, Felino, and Perry. Interesting. So you have Entwistle over, Corey, over Reese Johnson. Yes. Um, quick little mention on that. What exactly is your uh, reason? I know that there's not much to really to separate them, but considering that Wally and I had Reese there and you have Entwistle there, what's your reason for putting him in there? I think Entwistle brings a little bit more like speed than um, what Reese Johnson brings. And also Entwistle, I just feel like is one of those utility players who works better for a lineup set up like this in comparison to if we had um, Reese Johnson, who 
I have as my extra forward. He didn't make the full lineup. I just have him as an extra forward. It's where I don't want to have like two players like Perry and Reese Johnson on a same line where we know that is basically two grinders on one line like that. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, John, what are your, what's your bottom six? So it's Ryan Donato, Jason Dickinson, Tyler Johnson for the third line, and then Nick Foligno, Cole Gutman, and Corey Perry on the fourth Interesting. line. Interesting. So you went with Gutman. Um, I have said in the past that I think Gutman will start the year in the AHL, but you're going to put him. Uh, you're having him making the team. What do you think will put? It? What do you think yes. is going to take him over guys like Entwistle and Johnson? And even Blackwell, what do you think is going to put him over the top and have him slot in the lineup there? I just uh, like I just think we have a lot of players that can hit and play those and play in the, like the dirty areas. We don't have a lot of players that can score besides Lucas Reichel, Connor Bedard, and Taylor Hall, and a little bit of Radish, and maybe a little bit of Ryan Donato too. So. I just think we just have a lot of players of the same type. It feels like to me. All right. Um, I I think it's I, th- I think it's probably fair. Um, I think that the one thing that could be a concern there, as we saw with um, uh, Colin Blackwell last year, sometimes that style that when trying to add that stylistic uh, fit to like maybe make you more versatile actually just means that you guys that that the those players just don't work together. It'll be interesting to see though, because I I would. I think that if I'm, I think that if Gutman's making the team, he's going to start in. I think he's in the top nine. Yeah, that could I could see that happening. Again, like I said earlier, there's just a lot of different things you could do. There's nothing concrete. Like the only two players that are concrete is Bedard and Hall on the first line. And that's yeah, I feel it. so as well. Um, I want to do two. So who everyone's two scratches? Um. I have Blackwell and Entwistle, which means that I have uh, Kachuk and Gutman uh, going down. And of that group, only Kachuk is waiver eligible. So Gutman can go down straight to Rockford. Uh, Wally? Mine's the same Same exact thing. Nick? Reese Johnson and Blackwell. So you have the same. Or on my. um... So you have the same two guys. You have the same two cuts. Yes. Then John? Uh, same as Nick. No. Oh, oh, same two scratches. Yeah, so same you two scratches. Have, you have Blackwell and Reese Johnson. Johnson. So you have Entwistle getting waived? Along with Kachuk. Yep. All right. Um, interesting to see what happens, because right now, despite all the turmoil, none of us have Boris Kachuk making the roster. Um, obviously there are other circumstances, which we will not discuss at this moment that might co- that might affect that situation, but it'll be interesting to see if he does, because that would kind of blindside all of us. Um, and mm-hmm. then we'll finish it off with our defense. So I'm going to start, we'll start with our top fours. So my top four is Vlasic Jones, Korchinski Murphy, Wally. I have the same exact thing. Nick. I have Vlasic Jones. Uh, Phillips Murphy. Phillips Murphy. And John? Same exact thing as Nick. Same exact thing as Nick. So you have Phillips in the second line. Second pair. Yeah. 
right. So yeah. we all agree on Vlasic, Jones, and Murphy, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. moving to the third pair, uh, you have we have um, mine is uh, Tenorti playing with Zaitsev. Um, is anyone different? I have the same. I have the same as well. I have the same thing. <laughs> all right, so it seems like despite all the question marks around the forward core, we seem pretty solid about defense. It might have to do with the fact that handedness is so specific with defensemen, whereas it's not exactly the case with forwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Nick and John, you guys have Phillips making the team, and you guys have Korchinski not in there. Um, yeah, so, I, I think he'll eventually do it. I think he'll eventually make the team. I just don't know when. Like, see the difference. The, the problem there is the fact that if he doesn't make the team to start, he can't come into the lineup. But he has to. He, oh, he has true. to make the team to I'm start. Stupid. You know what? I'm gonna do it. I put him in. I'm gonna put Korchinski in. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot about that fact. So I'll have Phillips as the scratch defenseman. Okay. Um, and then. With that, uh, Nick, do you feel the same as well, or are you going to say that he, uh, nine games maximum? It's going to be a nine game max. The thing is, I really don't think it's smart to play Kevin Korchinski this season in the NHL full time. I can say nine games. He starts the season out in Chicago, gets the nine games, then they send him to Seattle where he will be the number one a defenseman with Seattle within Chicago. I don't want to see them throw a young defenseman out. He just turned 19. So I really don't think it's smart to play a 19 year old defenseman yet in the NHL, especially still in a rebuild season. I think next season we'll see Kevin Korchinski full time in Chicago. I would. I, I feel that same way as well. So, um, well, I I, un- I understand that. Um, I think that he gets half a season though, at least. Okay. That's um, my opinion yeah. too. So That's with that, opinion, um, yeah. because of that, I feel like we all have kind of Philip. If Korchinski's there, then we all say that it's Phillips before Kaiser. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, not on my end. I have Kaiser ahead of Phillips. Kaiser ahead of Phillips. Yeah, but I think it could go either way. What's the primary reason for doing uh, Kaiser over Phillips? I I just feel like the Blackhawks personally like Kaiser more than Phillips, but I think it also depends on how they play in the preseason because I think it's very, very close. Mm -hmm. I think that Kaiser needs at least a season in the AHL. To really get used to, um, to get used to the physicality of professional hockey and the schedule of professional hockey, I think people underrate how few games that college hockey players play. Yeah, I mean, you're getting like forty games a season. When you're in the CHL, you're already at sixty, and when you go to the when you go to the minors, you go to the AHL, you're up to seventy now. So that difference in schedule is actually pretty pivotal and pretty massive. So I do think that Kaiser could start the year in the AHL to get used to that because we know he has good conditioning. We saw it a couple years ago in that five overtime game. But getting used to utilizing that properly over a full a professional schedule, I think, is what will be the plan for him this year. 
Uh, last thing we want to talk about is just a couple of pieces of news involving um, some players and where they will be next season that were not known at the time of our last podcast. Um, uh, Niels Juntorp, uh, one of our sixth round picks in 2022, just signed to play in the Hockey Eton, which is the third division of Sweden. He played in the USHL last year. Didn't have the best of seasons, um, but hopefully this is a good stepping stone for him to work his way into uh, top division uh, playtime going forward. He's back in his home country as well, which is probably good for him on that part as well. Um, and then along with that, uh, we have a couple of um, AHL signings um, who are players who might be involved in the team next year. Um, uh, Wally, John, you guys have the uh, the read on this? Yeah, so we signed Anders Bjork most uh, within the last day, and then uh, earlier we signed Marcel Marcel. Yes, Marcel Marcel. I believe that I I kind of skirted over that fact, but I didn't really mention it in full that Marcel Marcel, despite being 19, is going to play in the AHL next year. Even though he was a CHL player, international players have the ability to go and do that. So... Um, he will be in the AHL next season. He's massive, um, and he's hilarious as well. Um, I want to touch on this, too. The reason I think we signed Anders Bjork is because Luke Philp is going to be out for six months. So, expected timetable is about around February. Mm-hmm. I believe with that, that's going to be everything for this episode of the Hockey Podcast. Um... And this is the end of season one of the Hockey Podcast. We will be back sometime next month as preseason starts up to give you a bit of a preview heading into uh, Rockford season, heading into the Blackhawks season, heading into seasons for all of our prospects. And with that, um, it's just something that is going to be exciting for everyone. We're going to have a much better season than last year. Um, hopefully the Blackhawks are going to be a much more of an offensive threat than last year. Um, and more than that, we have Bedard, which hopefully means that we're not going to have people who are begging for us to lose games. There still might be those people because they want Sabrini. Salabrini. You know what yeah. I meant. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll it'll happen. <laughs> it'll it'll happen regardless, but hopefully have an opportunity to enjoy Blackhawks hockey next season. So we'll be back in a month, but for now that's gonna be the end of the first season of the Hockey Puckcast, and we will be back. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can follow our Twitter account at H-A-W-K-E-Y-P-U-C-K-C-A-S-T. You can find us there, and you can find this podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. So, with that, thank you so much for joining us. Wally. Go Hawks, and don't get shadow banned. (laughs) (laughs) Nick. Hopefully we won't have some disgraces of hockey this coming season. Certainly can't do worse than last year. And John. Rip Rocky Warts. Rest in peace, Rocky Warts. My name is Tyler. This has been the Hockey Podcast. And we will see y'all next season. Take care. Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by B-Y forward slash 4.0.